Hey, this is Gerd Handel, and welcome to the Inner Light Project. This show is for anyone who's wanting to lead a happier, healthier, and enlightened life. Create more self-love. Inject more joy and abundance into their daily life. Join me for inspiring interviews and spiritual topics so you can shine your inner light. Hello and welcome to the Inner Light Project. My name is Gerd Tundel and today I want to share with you someone who is empowering people to live their best life through fitness. Dylan Dane is the CEO of System2, the first relationship-based fitness brand that prioritizes longevity over quick fix exercise fads. But life wasn't always this way for Dylan. Dylan, I'm just so grateful to have you show on the show today and thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. You're welcome, Gertz. I'm excited. Oh, bless you. I'm just really excited to hear your story because when it was sent over to me, I was just like, wow, this person has really been on a journey of transformation and really understands the power of trusting from within and trusting your health. Yeah, um it's been a learning experience for sure i mean uh especially in, in some ways having a relatively low point to start from maybe helped me uh figure out uh, <laughs> the process even better but uh, who knows yeah that's you like what was your life like before you had that awakening um let's see so i was born in sri lanka uh to lower middle class parents my dad uh, was a police officer and uh, my yeah my mom uh, a housewife and um they uh it was an interesting time to uh, sri lanka as you are probably aware of went through a 30 plus year civil war and yeah. uh, i was born on um um like right with the with the civil war as, as it was starting uh-huh. when uh, when you know i came to the world and um and my dad especially as a, as a police officer had to go through some serious ups and downs uh due to the political climate in the, mm. in the country and um so it was the first the first um 20 years of my life were uh quite dramatic especially if you look at it from a western point of view um and uh you know like there was like you know the things like relative poverty right i mean we were we were not um, destitute by any means but at the same time uh, we were never comfortable and um and at times uh you know my mom and dad had to get really creative uh on certain days to put like food on the table like you know basic necessities um and um and you know buying shoes for school was a struggle that sort of thing um luckily sri lanka does have a pretty robust uh public education system even though it's uh, unfortunately in the local language um I'll, i can get to that why why i think it's unfortunate <laughs> but um but um but uh, so that that was incredibly helpful to me um so yeah so there were like you know money problems but also uh my dad had a 
a pretty challenging issue with uh, alcoholism and he was dealing with that and and the entire family went through a lot um dealing with that and uh and then the political climate um my 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 father had to uh, spend many years in essentially hiding uh because wow. uh, there was a well, actually i mean okay it sounds ridiculous for a small island but there were two civil wars going on uh wow. simultaneously for a while and we lived in the capital but you know the the one um the one that surrounded us more uh was a um you know class uh uh a clash between communism and and capitalism almost there were there were young people who were really aggravated by the government policies and they took up arms and and uh, started burning things down and uh it was a, it was a, it was a it was a huge blow to the country um and uh but also personally for for a lot of people uh, like myself growing up uh, my dad had to be in hiding uh as a police officer for like many many years and during that time he he often slept at the the police station and um and so our our kind of entire family was split apart and uh, myself and my grandma um kind of lived with a one of our aunties and um and my mom and my brother lived with uh, my mom's parents so so we were like hiding right and it was like a very wow. serious situation too um um for example one of my cousins uh uh just you know disappear one day and uh he was in university he he was a very promising uh young man working towards his college degree and and uh, potentially got involved in some political stuff disappears <sighs> one day and and a few weeks later you just uh find the the remains of him just like on the beach so that kind of thing it's pretty wild. wow wow gosh that's a lot of trauma itself like to be dealing with and then having pressure of like then to study and like to better yourself yeah um i mean you know when you when you're a child you just it's it's really interesting the way children deal with trauma mm. um oftentimes uh, they internalize a lot of the trauma and they they kind of end up thinking that it's their fault a lot of yeah. things that are that are happening around them right and uh, and these these things create some very ingrained very um powerful beliefs in in their in their sort of like inner self like the deepest neural pathways and uh it becomes very challenging to correct later in life um another another uh, way children deal with trauma something that I relate to very very strongly is you create these fantasy worlds you you essentially oftentimes you create a world where you're protected you're you're a hero almost you're you're loved you're you're admired and uh, and you spend as much time as possible in this fantasy world as opposed to the real world um and uh, it's you know very well known well studied uh mechanism kids used to deal with trauma but the downside of all that is that now you know, as an adult you you still kind of have a lot of trouble oftentimes dealing with the, the real world because you're more used to living in a fantasy so yeah issues like that um that that I relate to uh, intimately wow gosh so like at that time like you're living through these two wars happening and then yeah 
what happened next for you? So, you know, you're going, this was like your daily life of like, yeah. I guess living in fear and then suddenly yeah. what's the transformation that happens for you? Yeah. So, um, it's interesting. Like, I wouldn't say I, as a child, I was, I lived in fear per se. Like, mm. and I have these memories of like, you know, watching over a village burn like around us and our wow. grandmother is like panicking and, you know, for our life. And we're like hiding in this, in this like little home, um, hoping that like the riders will not find us. Right. And, um, uh, and, uh, and at the same time, like my memory of that specific, specific incident was also in a weird way, like, Thrilling, like, because I was a child and I didn't, I wasn't aware of the danger that I was in, and and I was like, oh, this is almost like hide and seek, maybe. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, so it was, it's really interesting, and and it, you know, there there were a lot of ways that how this directly impacted um, uh, uh, my life, but in in certain ways, it's it's not quite like. Um, uh, if you grow up in the West and you're kind of like dropped into this situation. Um, mm. It was so much that like, I remember when 9-11 happened in the U S uh, and I was, I was almost 20, I think, uh, or maybe 19. And uh, the, the reaction of people in Sri Lanka was like, Oh, that's sad. But what's the big deal? Because mm. this happens all the time, right? Like, it wasn't like they mm. were not empathetic. It wasn't like they were like, oh, yeah. like, like now these guys feel some of this pain at all. It wasn't nothing like that. It was more, it was more like, oh, like, you know, this, is this that uncommon kind of reaction, right? Um, so, so anyways, um, so I kind of get what, stuff, I was yeah. going to say, I kind of get what you mean. It's like in the West, when things happen like that, it's, it's very, it like, it's a very shocking thing, but in the yeah. East, so much is happening on a daily basis like you know right. this whole survival right you don't have time to even like think about it the way we think about things in the west yeah yeah uh yeah so that that was very difficult uh, but also honestly uh what had a lot of uh impact on my on me personally was also the the kind of domestic issues that we were going through that were fueled by poverty and uh, these various, the political climate that made, I mean, I have a lot of empathy for my parents. They, they grew up in a climate. I mean, imagine like you and I have so much opportunity today. Imagine being our age, but living in a place where there's barely any opportunity, right? Like mm. you, you can, you can barely, you know, put food on the table and, 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 you know, there's no hope of like starting a business or whatever. So and and because of that, I mean that 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 struggle filtered through, and there was was a lot of domestic abuse and um, and uh, and stuff like that 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 I had to deal with. And so you know all of that was um, was uh, was what made my like my childhood much more uh, yeah like kind of kind of very bleak. And and the funny thing is, I actually don't remember a lot from before uh, before I was twenty. Uh, I what? almost have su- suppressed a lot of my mm. memories. I think and it's it's kind of funny that certain memories come back when uh, when I do certain trauma therapy stuff, uh, and I'm like, oh, that thing happened, and I just completely forgot that that happened. So yeah, um, yeah. so um, 
that went on for for the for the for the first uh, couple of decades and uh and um the the one thing that i had uh going for me was i was pretty good in school um i i think again it, it just started out as a way of you know trying to please my father like i remember yeah. i remember i vividly remember actually I, I don't think i was that exceptional until uh maybe like second or third grade and and uh, while in, in third grade i think i i like kind of came top of the class and i don't even know how um maybe <laughs> probably randomly um uh you know and and uh, and i come home and my my father is so proud and he's like telling everyone about this uh-huh. and uh, and i you know I, my my greatest desire I, 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 like always was to uh be admired by my father and it's like mm-hmm. very hard to come by and uh um and so uh so you know my kind of quest became to kind of maintain my grades and 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 do well every every time so yeah um, so i guess and, and, it's what your education is what got you out right it got you into right. you hold world right yeah so uh kind of long story from then on uh, uh i uh did very well i'd say uh throughout high school and uh and the uh the a levels o levels and a level system that they have locally and um and yeah i mean honestly when i was 20 i uh had this got really lucky um i was set to go to college in sri lanka and honestly i would have done fine um uh, because brian probably would have gotten a job uh and so on but uh, i uh, my my father had a friend at the us fulbright commission in sri lanka and and she noticed that my grades were extremely good and uh she she thought i should uh, apply for some us universities and uh, that was a turning point wow so where did you study in america uh i was at mit mit wow yeah so here you are like coming from like a, a t- like a tiny place to then moving abroad what was that feeling like when you moved over um it was it was a it was like going on a on this big adventure i think i always had this yearning for um adventure and uh and uh and i i didn't really know what to expect and i this was completely in a lot of ways unexpected to like my college application process was that i took like the um the us news college rankings and uh basically wow. applied to the top 5 um and just because i didn't know what i was doing at all i was like okay i think i got my top 5 right and um and 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 then i took the sats completely flunked the verbal uh did very well at the math <laughs> and um uh, and uh and uh, so four of the universities were they some of them had interviews uh, as well and they were like hey Dylan you you seem really smart why don't you apply for grad school when you can speak the language you know we don't think you can survive right now uh and uh but MIT was like oh he can do math like he does not need to speak uh, we should uh, we should accept it so uh so i'm i'm very very grateful that happened and uh yeah so i show up and um this whole new world and you know everything 
I know everything's different, smells different, tastes different, uh, <laughs> and and uh, and uh, you know the first few days were uh, pretty exciting, honestly, given that they kind of take you through this initiation process and have a lot of events and stuff like that. But but you know soon after you, you're left alone and uh, mm-hmm. uh, you're you're, uh, uh, you're you know left to your own devices to figure out I was uh, I was being overly ambitious and wanted to double major in, in computer science <laughs> and physics and uh, as well and like and then wow. I was like signed up for like some hard classes and <laughs> and and that was turned out to be a really dumb decision uh, because uh, I, I you know vividly remember like sitting in my chemistry class and like just tearing up because I'm like do not understand a word the professor is saying. Right. Like it was like the accent plus, you know, mm. not the level of um, um, communication English that, that I was uh, I was at. So, yeah. So that took a took a nosedive pretty quickly. Wow. And then so what you've taken on. I really understand what you're saying, because I in my 20s, like my, when I was doing my first degree, I was like a nutter as well. Like I took on loads of stuff and then I worked in a pharmacy, <laughs> was taking exams for a pharmacy, yet was becoming right. a journalist. And yeah. people were like, what's wrong with you? Like, and then I do like placements, you name it. And like, kind of like yourself, I really threw myself in the deep end. And it did really mess me up for a bit because like yeah. I was sleeping enough. And then, you know, yeah. I almost think it's like, I call it like the immigrant, like, not for trauma, sure. but it's like immigrant trauma I guess like where we wanted to succeed so badly that we actually forget that we're humans and we're not robots yeah 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 and and also you you grow up with a different uh value system almost right like yeah like I I feel like a lot of my um I don't know American friends um had a had a wider appreciation for things that they might want to do in life like you know um like date and like take vacation travel stuff like that none of these were options for me like in my mind right like you start college and that in itself is a big deal and uh and 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 your whole thing is to like crush it with academics and that is like that is what you live for um (laughs) yes and it puts, it puts a lot of pressure on you, um, especially, uh, yeah, I mean, in my case, uh, I was at MIT, pretty uh, pretty intense academic environment, incredibly competitive place. Um, MIT actually has one of the highest uh, suicide rates um, wow. in, yeah, out of uh, universities in the U.S., and, and they, they have these uh, extra days off. Uh, called suicide holidays. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh um, I mean, they're not officially called suicide holidays, but all the all the all the kids call them suicide holidays. Uh, wow. And uh, to to reduce that pressure a little bit. Um, and and you know and 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 also a lot of the kids that you find at these places are mildly autistic um, and you know unable to really kind of socialized connect so they're all kind of struggling together and then uh, being an international student adds an extra dimension on top of that wow and so like you're taking on all these courses yeah and then you're in your final exam and you pass out and what what happens after that like you... yeah so uh so my first two years was completely miserable um i 
coming into MIT, I was already a very anxious uh, uh, person with very little, like, did not have social skills. I, I, I was a complete loner, and uh, even in high school, didn't have mm-hmm. any friends. Um, and uh, and at MIT, um, I just decided to try to double down on on studying. Uh, but the thing is, in the U.S. especially, um, I was more used to sort of like the British uh, way of education system, where you where you essentially cram your finals <laughs> and and I mean. <laughs> It's still the same at like my friends at Oxford and and so on have told me that uh, like you yeah. kind of you can kind of get a decent grade if you uh, if you cram uh, for the final. Um, but uh, but a lot of U.S. universities, MIT especially, heavily relies on continuous testing and project-based learning. So uh-huh. the whole point is that yeah, so there's like continuous testing every two weeks. There is a test, right? Wow. And uh, and then like every two weeks or even every week, really, there are multiple projects that you're supposed to collaborate on other, with other students. Now, I'm coming from this completely different uh, education system, and I'm like, oh, exam, got a cram, right? I'm cramming, <laughs> cramming, cramming. Right? Like, every, like every two weeks, I'm like just like, you know, blowing my top and, and just like try, trying, to, trying to go hard as possible. On, on the other side, all the group projects, I just, I have absolutely no social confidence, so I try to do all of it myself. Oh, right? my so God. completely screwing myself. <laughs> um, so I had this weird pattern where I would do extremely mm. well in, like, the first exam because I'm, like, oh, I'm just, like, ready to go. But then, like, by the finals, I'm, like, a complete mess and um, almost pass out and, like, you know, come close to um, uh, really kind of, uh, not doing well and so yeah completely miserable uh, complete loner did not have a you know have many friends uh, was just like basically hiding in my dorm room uh, most of the time wow. and uh, and um, what happened was that I'm taking 6002 which is a uh, intro to electrical engineering and uh, um, my professor uh, assistant professor instead of giving me the grade uh, sets me up, uh, sets up some time to talk to me, and I show up. And I'm like, what's happening? Why is he? What does he want to talk to me? And uh, he's like, Well, Dylan, you seem it seemed like you need help. You uh, you uh, basically failed the class um, because mm. you um, you know you, your your answer sheet for the finals was empty. Um, but I also noticed that you did really well at the beginning and so it seemed like you're you're struggling with some mental health issues and uh, and uh, I'm going to let you take the finals again but on the condition that you walk with me to the psychiatric department right now and talk to a therapist (laughs) so this was like you know this is like a big deal of him to take interest in me and to do Mm -hmm. that um yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would have ever done that. I knew that I needed help for a while, but as you probably know, um, <laughs> only crazy people go to shrinks in South Asia. Like that's yeah. the big stigma, right? Yeah. Um so I, you know, I was not crazy and I was not a complete loser, so I did not want to uh, uh see a shrink and and uh and I, you know, instead I just like decided like yeah my choice was to be depressed and like contemplate 
I don't know, really bad things and, and just mm. like be a complete mess. Uh, so anyway, they, they evaluate me and uh, at, the, at the psychiatric department and um, they almost actually locked me up. Uh, they have a special area where they what? keep people who might be uh, a danger to themselves. And, um, and instead of that, they ended up deciding to put me on five days a week of therapy and, uh, and let me go. And then also on some medications, I think Lexapro. Wow. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so, but then, I mean, all that happened and that was this sort of like huge turning point in my life. Right. Um, um, up until then it was just like, Lots of lows and, I don't know, some lucky breaks, but really, like, struggling at the bottom and uh, and without a sense of self and, and without, like, sort of having a path out of it. But mm. uh, but that really changed things. Uh, my, uh, my therapist was really my first coach, and... Uh, and uh, uh, she was she was incredible, uh, you know, was really like a uh, like a parental figure almost. And one thing she got me doing was uh, one thing she got me doing first was getting me to work out almost every day. And she was like this. She was like almost like a coach. It wasn't like that. She prescribed me workouts, but she would like always check in with me and make mm. sure that I did the thing that I that I was supposed to do. And uh and uh, that, along with a number of other things, was extremely helpful. I guess, like, she was a guide to you. And I was just going to say what you were saying before that um, about our community. Like, people of colour don't believe in therapy. <laughs> they yeah. believe they believe that, like you said, it, it's, it's for a certain type of people. But really, everybody needs therapy. Everybody goes through some form of trauma in their life. And right. there's no shame. But our community in particular seems yeah. to have this big shame and I, I've seen it growing up with certain people like the way people behave around certain people and it's just like no like if you just talk things get better <laughs> right yeah I mean absolutely right uh it's it's a I don't know I, I think it's uh it's a function of um economics almost like when you're in an environment where I mean, there's absolutely like there's no way you you could afford therapy uh, if you're in a if you're relatively if you're if you're you know if you're poor and uh, yeah so um, whereas uh, once once the economics reach a certain point you can have these services that really make a big difference in people's lives and and people can afford these services and and that you know that's that makes all the difference. I think as well like when people think of therapy they think like some like scary movie or like a thriller movie <laughs> right and they don't think that like they don't realize that it, it, it's it's just for people that are afraid like most people who have like the experiences that they have like there's a lot of pain that they're hiding and actually talking about it actually helps but like you said it depends on the economic side but yeah. if i just think if more people had therapy a lot of people would be yeah. a lot more happier <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this is sort of uh, my kind of long-term mission at this point to, um, you know, build tools and, and services using technology to, you know, bring all kinds of these baseline services that uh, that help increase our baseline happiness level to everyone. So I think I think we'll get there. Um, you know, um, 
yeah I'm sure you will and I'm just going to say like I, I really understand a lot of the things that you're saying it's weird I have to tell you after there's a lot of similarities um but um yeah like I had my so I kind of like yourself like I I was like over obsessed with like my career path I think it's just an Asian yeah. thing where you know we yeah. want to make our parents proud and then there's this yeah. like expectations of like the community and our families um and working in a pharmacy studying journalism doing placements um, yeah. I actually had a car accident at 21 um uh, Dylan and I had short-term memory loss and I refused to accept that I had short-term memory loss so I carried on and then wow. three months later I couldn't tell you what I had for breakfast what time it was and I just like yeah. I was a mess and my mum forced me to go to the GP and it yeah. was the GP that actually first initially said right you can take these medications um, right. and I refused because I'd obviously worked in a pharmacy I was aware of certain things and yeah. my gut was telling me not to do that so I went to see another GP and I said look I've had a car accident a few months ago is this related and she just said go out into mother nature take time off university and you'll be fine within a few right. months I was absolutely fine Dylan I had wow. to but I had to like almost be, it was like being a child again I had to like learn how to function properly like eat on yeah. time sleep on time it was very weird um yeah. but again I, I got better and then I studied a master's in London and then again I was in Canada I worked for a new channel in Canada for a bit and I collapsed there my left yeah, arm wow. stopped working so yeah I've gone through some crazy journeys um and then it took me working back in London in the city um overworking like kind of like yourself again um collapsing in the office three times to the third time I wasn't breathing and being taken to, um, by an ambulance to the hospital to actually realize something wasn't right um yeah. but it really took me to have a cancer scare that woke me up and realize I realized that if I don't take control mm. of my health mm. I would be here and that was like my awakening to realize mm -hmm. and then I started to do the inner work but I feel like there's this pressure and I think South Asian people in particular have this pressure to to people please the family mm -hmm. to sacrifice their needs but also yeah. to make sure everybody else is happy except ourselves it's, yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it's a crazy journey where like I have to like yourself I have to like peel off the layers of like expectations of others to really understand that there is no harm in having a vacation there is no harm right. having me time that was something right. I didn't grow up with um but it, it's so powerful like you said like when you start doing the inner work and you start yeah. working on yourself that you can have both you can have the career and you can have your health Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, and and it, it takes it takes a certain amount of uh, courage to throw yourself at uh, at the uh, at the journey of awakening, as you put it, uh, for sure. Because, you know, the other thing is like there's no there's no tried and tested path. Right. Yeah. Um, you just have to. There's a number of different things that you have to try. And the same thing doesn't even work for most people. Um but, and then, you know, and then you have to, I don't know, make a living and all that stuff while, while doing that. And like, hopefully, uh, hopefully make progress towards whatever ambitions you have. So that's really tough. And, uh, yeah. But I feel like now there's a lot of people having, cause I, I call it like the quarter life crisis when I had it, I was at 25. I think a lot of yeah. people are chasing for success. So once they've got that career that they want, then they realize like what's next and then they're unhappy a lot of them in their career paths because they haven't had that balance of like joy and also what understanding themselves because we've spent so much time just studying we don't actually know who we are or how we feel or our thought process right, right. 
Right, exactly. And, uh, and uh, a lot of these things are exacerbated by um, the same tools that we build to, I don't know, connect to each other, right? Yeah. Uh, there, there's, there's so much unsettling data coming out about um, um, the, like Gen Z, for example, um, uh, you know, a lot, lot of, lot of hormonal issues, even like uh, erectile dysfunction is like very prevalent wow. among men, apparently, um, younger men and, uh, and, uh, um, and depression is more common and mm-hmm. uh, companionship is, uh, is, is less. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely unsettling. I'm, I'm curious to see if uh, as a society we will also, I feel like, like our generation, um, almost is the first generation to face this sort of, uh, this new world of technology that mm. our brains were not designed to process, right? Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's like, it's like if you take an animal and, and if you feed it, like fatty food all day long. If you just like leave a, like, <laughs> delicious, unhealthy food around it, it will just get fat. And that's what's happening to us. And, and that, that has been happening since like, I don't know, like earlier in the, the 20th century. But, um, but, uh, 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 the, the explosion of social media content creation, mm. uh, targeting quick dopamine hits, that is the equivalent of like the mental fattening. Uh, you know, it's like the mental um, uh, junk food, right, that we have been consuming yeah. with our smartphones, especially over the last decade. And, and that's having all kinds of weird effects that we didn't know how to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the, the hopeful um, outlook of hopeful side in me, um, uh, my hope is that, you know, just like with unhealthy food, um, at least in recent years, there's been this massive trend to, to be able to talk about it, uh, promoting health and well-being yeah. and, and eating well and good food trends and so on. It's, it's, it, you, you, could, you could look at it and you could see that as society building antibodies against the, the things that were harming us. And you could, you could presumably think about a future where the same thing happens with the mental junk food. Um, and maybe we're already seeing the seeds of that, right? You, you, um, yeah. Meditation apps like Calm becoming billion-dollar companies, and and uh, and uh, people talking about a lot of uh, uh, psychedelic therapy and and stuff like that uh, a lot more. So maybe this is the this is the this is the social antibodies building up, and uh, and us starting to resist uh, all the things that uh, that are harming us uh, mentally. 100% I like I look back at my life like I'm in my, I'm in my mid-30s now and I look back when we were growing up and it I was obviously I was born in the west but um when you talked about mental health in those days it was like oh it's a scary term you don't talk about it and like you know you were labeled as crazy or a weird one whereas now there are so many people out there like celebrities everybody like has a lot of people talk about their experiences of depression and it's becoming the yeah. norm now. So I think there is a massive shift happening. And like you said, people are becoming more aware yeah. that it's okay to talk. It's okay to have problems. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it's also very, very important to uh, highlight the role of technology in the recovery process because mm. everyone's kind of like aware of uh, how 
social media is bad for us, et cetera, et cetera. And it's absolutely true. Um, but, but I, but I think there's, there's a huge role technology will pay, play in, in the recovery as well. Uh, for example, like today, it's easier for you to uh, have a guided meditation through uh, a smartphone app, right? Mm. And you can connect with like the best meditation coach in the world or whatever. Uh, or you can, you can track your diet. You can, you can, you know, there are apps for like fasting. Um, and then, and then there's a new crop of apps uh, that are popping up or app-based services that are po- popping up that are uh, scaling traditionally human-based services uh, to uh, to individuals as well at a low cost. And I'm I'm actually really he- hopeful about a future where anyone can have a therapist at like yeah. a very very low cost, right? Yeah. Um, and and the, the cost thing is real. It is something that you have to address. Like, how yeah. much does a good therapist cost per hour, and can everyone pay that? It's actually like that's you know, yeah. it, it's 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 pretty challenging to scale that type of services. Um, but I think what's what's happening with uh, especially some recent advances in in AI, uh, what's making that possible is to at least in the in the medium to uh, medium long term, uh, it's possible to create sort of like this hybrid AI machine, uh, sorry AI human uh, hybrid services where as an end user, you would have a very intimate, very powerful, very meaningful relationship with a service provider who's like a world-class professional. Um, but uh, on the in the back end, in the um, from the therapist's point of view, uh, they would be serving hundreds of people, as opposed to I don't mm. know, like 10, 20 people a week, uh, because they have these tools that allow them to just do the things that they do best as opposed to doing administrative tasks all day or like just, you know, typing the same message over and over all day, that kind of thing. Right. Mm. So, um, so I'm, I'm very, I'm very excited for that. Um, I, th- I think we're going to have, um, yeah, like, like the services that, that cost a lot today that, that are not accessible, um, being able to scale those services, I think I think we can use technology that in that sense to really increase the baseline happiness of everyone, and that would be amazing. Yeah, that would just shift everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you? I just remembered. Can you um, tell us about System Two? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I. Um, have started several companies over the last uh, 10 or so years and, you know, um, and, and have been in tech for a while and have had uh, a decent amount of success. And uh, this time around, I really wanted to work on something that um, is deeply meaningful for myself, but also can have a positive impact, a direct positive impact on the people, um, people of my, in my life, right? Like my friends and yeah. family and so on. So, um, so, um, and, and thinking about that, you know, what I noticed is that the, exactly the trend that I was talking about just, just now, there's this huge, huge advancements in AI that make it possible to, um, to scale the ability of, uh, uh, professionals to help people, uh, you know, take a traditionally one-on-one service and, and make that a, 
uh, one to many service without reducing the quality of the service. So what we do in System 2 is we're starting with personal training. And uh, with System 2, traditionally you would have spent, I don't know, uh, $100 per, per hour, right? $3,000 maybe uh, uh, if, you, if you train regularly with the trainer per month uh, to, to work with the personal trainer. And this is a luxury that today is available to just the wealthy people. Like if you look at our yeah. fitness idols, um, who are our fitness idols? Movie stars, uh, athletes. Um, mm -hmm. uh, these people have personal trainers. They have teams of personal trainers, right? And, and we look at them and, and we're going like, oh, you know, they have abs. We don't have abs. What, what is it that like, you know, am I a loser? No, you don't have, a, have, a, you know, have the support that these people have. Um, it's costly. So how do you bring down, bring down that cost? And that's exactly what we're trying to do with System 2. Uh, for $100 a month, uh, with System 2, you get a personal trainer that will design your workouts for every single day of the week and hold you accountable so oh, that wow. you stick to that process, right? And that is really, really important. Um, yeah. our, our entire product is built around very deep uh, psychology and, um, and behavioral science um, understandings about how humans build habits. What we want to do is help you build a habit of moving your body, right? Mm -hmm. We don't care. Like, it's not about you do, doing a specific type of workout. It's not about you having some amazing, like, you know, month of working out. It's about building a habit for the rest of your life and um, and working with the coach to get you to that point. And, and so that's what the product is built around. So the accountability part is so key for that. So um, instead of being alone in your fitness journey, now mm. you have someone who you talk to on video every once in a while, but also on a day-to-day -day basis checks in with you like every day and is responsive and, and is caring and, you know, just makes it fun and, and, um, and something that you look forward to, to do your daily workout. Um, so that's like, that's the, that's the key thing that we're, we're optimizing around and very, very excited for it. I have definitely achieved the goal of um, having an impact on the people in my life. I, all of my friends are getting in like the best shape of their life. And that's just like so rewarding. Nice. I think that's really powerful. And um, like even especially like during COVID as well, like the whole pandemic, yeah. like this must be so powerful for so many people because they haven't been able to even go to the gym. Whereas like you're saying, you'll get yeah. your own personal um, trainer with you just, just on an app, which is powerful. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, our app works, you know, whether you go to the gym or not, whether you're traveling or not, whether you're like, whether your life circumstances change, if, you're, if, we, if your equipment changes, like we have clients who uh, got pregnant while they were using the app and we were able to quickly switch them to a trainer who specializes in wow. uh, pre and postnatal care. And so, you know, instead of working with one trainer, now you have access to this hive mind of trainers who specializes wow. in different areas, injury prevention, muscle building, strength building, uh, pre and postnatal care, like stuff like that. Right. Wow. So that's, that's important. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and also uh, being able to utilize the latest um, technologies when it comes to 
uh, tracking your biometrics, uh, things like heart rate variability and, and VO2 max and stuff like that, your Apple Watch measures, um, making that available to the trainer and, and giving them like a holistic picture of uh, where your health is and where it's going. So it's a, it's a, it's a really, um, it's a complicated product, but from the user point of view, it's a, it's a beautiful experience. Um, and, um, and I'm incredibly excited to scale that uh, beyond even personal training. What, you know, uh, in the future we will introduce services like dietitians and, um, and wow. mental health coaching and uh, productivity coaching and so on under the same kind of model of um, giving you a caring, uh, experienced professional who um, deeply, who's deeply committed to working with you and you know kind of like that same experience that i had at mit that was like life-changing mm-hmm. right um and uh and and bring that to anyone in the world who uh, who can you know afford um you know a relatively tr- trivial amount of money um can can now have that service so that's like the the dream that we are marching toward Wow, I can see it. Like as you're explaining it, I can just see it. Like it's like it's almost like one app, but then you decide what specialism you want. So like like you said, if you need help with therapy, you click on that app, yeah. or you click on whatever you need, and then you just yeah, that's really powerful. And I think that's going to help a lot of people. I see that hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and it's it's a very exciting time. Um, I um, I can. Like the, the the product and the technological path to get there is extremely clear, and that's what's exciting about it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, fast forward ten years, I I would be very surprised if we didn't live in a world where every single individual has a team of experts backing them, right? Wow. Um, um, when it comes to personal taking care of themselves physically, mentally, and, uh, and uh, yeah, covering their basic needs so that you can focus on the hard things in life, not like, you know, um, mm. uh, uh, yeah, like the, the, your basic needs, your basic support will, will, will be delivered through uh, services like this. And that's very exciting. So also, basically, you're saying it's like a community. It's like what what we all humans need is a community of like helping one another. Whereas sometimes we try to do everything alone, and we don't need to do things alone. We can have the support. Absolutely, yes. I mean, the the loneliness epidemic is is the you know the hardest nut to crack in so many ways, right? Mm. And uh, we're, we're more connected than ever. But like we're more lonely, uh, ever, yeah. ever more lonely than. Um, and, and, and like, how do you solve that problem? There, there are multiple ways to solve it um, when it comes to, yeah, when it comes to personal growth. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you need community. You need coaching. You, uh, you, should be, you, should, you should not feel alone. And that's really important. Wow. Gosh, just, we're coming towards the end of the show. I've just noticed the time. <laughs> um, I've just got two more questions there for you. Um, yeah, absolutely. What's your five top tips for someone like who wants to heal their depression, but they don't really know where to start? Uh, that is a great question, Gertz. I think, I think you have to – let's, let's look at the, uh, what, the, what the data says, right? Let's look at hard science and what helps 
What helps people feel better? The number one thing, and this is absolutely undisputed, the number one thing that will make you feel better is moving your body. And you don't have to do some crazy workouts. You don't have to, you know, be some crazy athlete. Just go for a walk. Just mm-hmm. do it five minutes a day. The important thing is not the quantity, but consistency, right? Do it every day. And you know what that does? That builds, the, that builds consistency. It builds a streak. Um, mm-hmm. And once you have done it for like three days, seven days, 21 days, you don't want to break that streak. So you will naturally uh, keep doing more. So that moving your body is the top thing that, uh, that anyone can do, I think. And, and I think this is very solidly backed by science uh, to, uh, to get out of depression, uh, to feel better about themselves. The yeah. second thing um, I think is uh, after that, oftentimes it's incredibly helpful to uh, get, get support. So, if you can see a therapist, if you can afford to see a therapist, definitely do that. Uh, if you can't afford to do that, there are, there are some you know, cheaper alternatives that there are some apps that provide uh, remote therapy services that, that are cheaper. You could potentially join a, a group of people that meet regularly to just like share you know, how they feel and, and, and talk about their feelings. I mean, there are like meetups like this almost in every city. So I think like, Cracking that loneliness uh, side of things, having some level of support in your life um, is incredibly helpful. So there are many ways to do that, um, but I think uh, but I think figuring out how to do that is uh, is, is pretty critical. Um, I'd say like the third thing is building some like baseline practices. Um, there are there's a set of practices that if you can, especially if you can do it every day, that uh, that really makes a big difference, right? Can you sit down five minutes in the morning uh, to meditate? Just like be with yourself. You don't have to do anything complicated. You can use an app or you can just like sit and like observe yourself and uh, and kind of be kind to yourself. And can you build that into a habit, right? And then. Um, journaling is incredibly helpful. Uh, there, yeah. there are multiple books written about this, um, and uh, uh, a lot of studies. Again, uh, just you know, journaling for five minutes just like takes the edge off. Uh, you know, brings you brings perspective. It's just like um, it's a way of thinking. It's just uh, incredibly helpful uh, to, to to do that. Um, and then. Developing a gratitude practice is uh, is another mm-hmm. incredibly uh, helpful way to um, think that helps with depression. Um, you know, you could just start with uh, writing three things that you're grateful for. Uh, so uh, something that I do every day and uh, and, and and highly effective. Powerful. Uh, yeah. I was just going to say, like with gratitude, like we spend so much more time thinking what we don't have and not focusing on what we do have. Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely, and uh, and and that's just how the mind is wired, and you kind of need to need to give it a little bit of extra push once in a while, ideally every day, so that uh, so that you you do think about what you do have. My last question actually was, what, what are you most grateful for? <laughs> um, great question. Um, it's really hard to pick one thing um i think i think i am 
most grateful for? I, I'm just I'm just so grateful to be born today. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the time that you're born in, like if you look at my parents, they didn't have that many options. They could have been, they could have been far more, um, you know, focused on self-development or whatever, but, um, but you know, economically, politically, they didn't have that many options. Um, yeah. whereas, whereas we live in a world that has opened up opportunities in so many ways for so many people. We live in a world that's way more equal than any society that existed just before. Like, you know, mm-hmm. whether you're a woman or a man or a person of color or white or, True. or you know, sexual orientation, whatever. And, um, and, uh, and then we live in a society that is opening up to exploration into different modalities of um, treating mental health issues, right? From talk therapy to psychedelic therapy to, um, to various other, other forms of uh, experiments. So I think like, I think, yeah, I'm just, you know, th- th- there's a lot of lucky things uh, and there's a lot of opportunistic things. There's, there's a lot of things I personally did in my own path. But I think what enabled a lot of that is, is being born in a, and living in a time uh, where the world is marching forward, marching towards a more equal society, uh, marching towards a hopefully, you know, healthier society um, eventually. And uh, yeah, I'm very grateful for that. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And Dylan, just thank you for just sharing your story today on the show and just creating like amazing apps for the future that are going to empower and the one that you have right now to empower so many people to to take back their health and their well-being so thank you for that thanks guys it was really fun you realize that it doesn't matter what background you're from or what life you grew up in that we can all that we all have the ability to heal ourselves we all have the ability to look after ourselves sometimes we just need support mechanisms around us to help us really shine our inner light and really look after ourselves in a more nourishing and understanding environment. Unfortunately, that's the end of the show. Before I leave, I want to leave you with this quote. Each morning we are born again. What we do today is what matters most. That's a quote by Buddha. For more information about the show, visit www.girdshandle.com. And remember, stay happy, stay healthy, stay lit. lit.